Today's scripture reading, we're going to be reading out of Ephesians chapter 4. So if you'd remain standing as we read God's word together. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, now Colossians. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Sometimes I think it's just a good reminder to just say this, and I just want our parents in here to understand something. We love kids in our service. So, so if you've got kiddos that are downstairs, great to have them there. If you have kiddos up here, we're super glad to have them here. In fact, I'm really excited now that we actually have the nursery kind of up here in the corner because guess what? I love hearing the cooing of a baby and sometimes the cries of a baby because guess what? It reminds us what? Life. Amen. Amen. It also reminds us of the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And then we get to continually teach the next generation and the next generation and the next generation because I think the most terrifying statement in all of Scripture is that there rose up a generation who did not know God. We never want that said about Livingstone Church. We want to be perpetually teaching the next generation and the next generation about who God is. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, this morning we're in Genesis 45, and there are Bibles. We went and had distributed Bibles throughout, so if you see a Bible and you need to reach down and grab one, or if you need to ask your neighbor, hey, can I have that Bible? Are you using that? And grab that Bible. We want you having the Bible open um, on, your, on your lap, okay? And so again, with that wonderful statement that I heard from Jeff Vanderstead a long time ago, either in, a, in an app or on your lap, we want the Bible open, Okay. Um, down the road, we're kind of excited. Um, I get a, we can actually make the formal announcement, can't we? Yes, we can, because you, you told your boss, so we can. Um, this week, we've been praying about something about um, kind of our reaching out to our community and effectively reaching out to our community in wonderful ways. Um, and so he said, you know what? We as a church, if that, we want that to be a value of ours. If you want it to be that something that we completely are believing in, then we need to hire people in that direction as well. So this week... We actually brought on part-time Clarissa Steiner. Clarissa, raise your hand. Stand up. You got to stand up too. Yeah. All right. And so Clarissa is going to be in charge of our special events. She's also going to be in charge of all of our social media, our website, um, all those wonderful things. And so we, if you've got any questions like, hey, if you'd like to be part of that team or give her a hand, um, go see her. But she's going to be taking care of that for us. And, but Clarissa also is going to be pushing us into this community. So Clarissa is going to be finding ways for this body of believers to get involved in what the community is already doing. So we're going to be having more of that. So you're, we're going to be hearing about that as we look towards Winterfest, as we look towards Halloween, as we look towards these different things that are going on. We're going to get creative as a church body. And how can we effectively go out there and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community, doing what they're already doing, being where they already are? 
So that's part of what Clarissa's going to be doing for us, challenging me there in those ways. So I uh, get ready, church. We're going to go on the move. Amen? Amen? All right. Well, let's go before the Lord and ask him for his help as we study this passage of Scripture. Father God, we thank you. We thank you so much for the story of Joseph. That as Moses wrote this down in the wilderness by the power of the Holy Spirit to a nation that was being taught what it is to know you and follow after you, Lord God, that it would continue to minister us thousands of years later because it's your word and it's living and that this, the story of Joseph is so much more than just a story. But it is the word of God. It is the truth of God. Therefore, has the ability to radically alter and shape our lives today as we seek to live for you. And Lord God, we ask for that right now. That this morning as we study, we have, would have our hearts reshaped by the word of God and the story of Joseph. In Jesus' name we pray, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Got together with John Simpson this week for sermon chat, and I said, you know, part of me just wants to read through this text and then just spend the rest of the time weeping. Because I don't know any other way to respond to this text. This morning is, if you're going to ask me, this is the pinnacle of the story of Joseph. And you're like, but no, that's not an excuse not to come next week, okay? Or the following week, right? Because we're going to be in Joseph until we start Advent, okay? Because there's much more to learn. But this is, this is that climax we've been waiting for. This story this morning is, is, is we saw the vision and the dream that God gave Joseph way back when he was a teenager, We've seen the trials and the tribulations of Joseph. We've seen what's gone on in the brother's lives and in the father's life. And now we're seeing these two worlds where God has been at work in both of them, bringing to this moment, to this moment and this point in time, where these two worlds that were vastly separated are now going to come back and rejoin together. It is the most beautiful and wonderful story of reconciliation. Now, it's interesting as we talk about reconciliation, I want to kind of address a couple things right out of the chute. Reconciliation, if you were to look that up in Webster's Dictionary, you, you would read that it's this idea to restore friendship or, or to put back in place something that, that once was as it previously was. And that meaning of, death, that meaning of, of rest or, or reconciliation can lead us in a direction that I don't think is, is true when it comes to people. This idea of restore means to take like what, what, what once was and make it back to its original state. Now, John introduced me to a term this week. Now, I rebuilt, my son and I rebuilt a 1966 International Scout together. But we didn't, you couldn't take a 1966 International Scout and make it just as it was when it came in off the assembly line, can you? Especially when I'm doing the welding and helping out with things. It's going to be, what John introduced me to a term, it's going to be a resto mod, okay? It's going to be modified restoration, okay? It's not back to what a factory was, but it's a little bit different. 
it's healthy. It runs great. It, it you know, run, engine runs well, transmission runs well, all that stuff. It, it runs great, but it's not what it once was. You see, when we start talking about reconciliation, dealing with people, it's not going back to what the original state of that relationship was prior to whatever caused that severance or split in that relationship. It's going back to a new new. It's, it's taking them forward and saying, we're going to be reconciled to one another, but it's going to be a little bit different. And this morning, we're going to look at that. This is not, we're not going back to once was between Joseph and his brothers. It's a new relationship being formed out of this. It's going to be a little bit different as they're reconciled to one another. The second thing I want to talk to you about this morning is not every relationship where there's exercise forgiveness is going to be reconciled. And I want to be clear about that this morning. So you may forgive somebody for the hurt that they've done to you. But because of maybe it was an issue of abuse as a child or some other things that have taken place or maybe the other person doesn't desire to be reconciled. Because reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness takes one. And we're going to look at that this morning. That If you're a child of God, forgiveness isn't optional for us. And whoever told you forgiveness is optional wasn't reading out of Matthew chapter 6. Where God says that we must forgive. But just because we forgive doesn't mean this other person wants to re-enter relationship with us. And so there may not be reconciliation where the two people or the two groups have come back together to be in relationship with one another once again. Okay? Any questions on that? You can raise your hand if you have a question on that this morning. I think that's real important for us to understand. But this morning, we're going to look at reconciliation. We're going to look at two groups of people that come back together. So look here with me at the beginning of Genesis chapter 45, starting in verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him. Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, you missed last week. This is where we left off last week. We went through three chapters, chapters 42, 43, 44 last week, where there's a big famine taking place. It's the second year of the famine, and Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt to get food. Joseph is the one that is dealing out that food. Joseph recognizes what's going on, who those brothers are, but they don't recognize him because they see him just as an Egyptian. And so Joseph takes them through some of these trials. And as Joseph is taking his brothers through these trials, he is acting as the redeeming agent for his brothers. He's helping his brothers along in the process of their confession of guilt, their confession of what they've done wrong. And we, we looked a little bit last week, and I encourage you to listen to the, the story last week. We're not going to go back through it all again, but they have quite a long history of, of messing up and sin. And from some pretty dramatic things that they've done wrong, okay? And so we're looking at this morning that Joseph, last week, was this redeeming agent in the lives of his brothers. And it brought to this culmination point where, where Joseph is standing before his brothers. His brothers are not, showing, are not hating Benjamin for being the youngest and showing favoritism. The brothers have confessed that the reason all these bad things are happening to them because they have sinned against God, they've sinned against their brother, and it's just reached this point where Joseph can't hold it back anymore. The flood, the tidal wave of pain, of emotion, of hope, 
all balled up in you. You ever have those, in a tidal wave of emotion where you're like, all these different feelings are about ready to just blow up in one moment. That's what's going on here. Joseph's just reached this climax point of all these emotions have boiled up inside of him, and it's time. It's time for him to reveal who he is. It's time for him to reveal what God's gotten planned and purposed for the family, for the nation of Israel. And he says here, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried. Make everyone get out for me. So he's got all these servants. I mean, he's the second most powerful man of all of Egypt. He's got all these servants. He's got all these people that gather around him. He kicks them all out just to have this intimate time with his brothers. And so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud. The original language here is like this anguish, just being released from the deep parts of his soul. So that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed. Now, looking at the real language, a little disappointed in the word choice in the ESV here, okay? If you write in your Bible, which I encourage you to do, I would write terrified. His brothers are terrified. Are you kidding me? The brother they sold into slavery, the one that they threw in a pit, the one that they think the father thinks is dead, is the second most powerful man in Egypt and standing before them. How would you? I mean, I'd be shaking in my boots too. Oh, jaws on the floor, looking at each other, going, We're dead. We're dead. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. Think about that. The emotion Joseph is feeling. He has heard his brother's confession of their sin. He sees how they're treating their younger brother now. And his heart is just, he wants to draw near to them and be close to them. And he doesn't want any more barriers in the relationship. He wants intimacy with his family once again. For too long, he's been far from them. For too long, he's been out of relationship with them. For too long, walls have stood in the way. And it's time for them to come down. You see, that's what reconciliation does. Reconciliation is the destruction of barriers in relationship. And it's seeing people come back together into fellowship with one another. Yes, differently than the way it was before. But not in a way that is harmful. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. He puts it all on display for his brother. He exposes his heart to his brothers once again. I want you to think about that. How hard that had to have been for Joseph. Years upon years upon years, Joseph has been separated from his family and he doesn't care anymore. I want to be close to them. He has every right in human terms to keep the distance between him and his brothers. He has every right to hate them. He has every right to, to keep them at a distance and not draw them in. But he says, no, not anymore. It's time for us to be family once again. Exposes his heart fully to them. 
And I think about the greater Joseph, Jesus. And I think in this story, we're, and Joseph is, we, we see what we call a savior motif. We see this, this imagery, this understanding that, that Joseph is acting as a type of savior for God's people here. And as amazing as the story is, amazing like that forgiveness. I mean, if you're not in awe right now of just his ability to forgive, you've got to understand, first of all, it didn't come from Joseph, but it came from God. God gave Joseph the ability to forgive them. God had to take Joseph through the issue with Potiphar. He had to take Joseph through a time of slavery. He had to take Joseph to this rising of power. God had to take Joseph all through all those things to prepare him for this moment of reconciliation to his family. And God had to take Joseph's brothers through all that they had to go through and Joseph's father in order that they could come back together right here, right now. It's a beautiful story of God's sovereign power preparing these people to be reconciled to him and to each other. And we should be in awe. But you know what's crazier? And what's more mind-blowing is the greater Joseph, Jesus Christ, who daily, daily when we fail to follow him, when we fail to pursue him, when we fail to do what we're supposed to do in obedience to Jesus Christ, continues to say, I forgive them, they're under the blood. We just talked about it in the creed. He sits at the right hand of God the Father interceding on behalf of us. And as our stench of our sin, the stench of our disobedience comes up before the throne, he turns to the Father and says, under the blood, under the blood, under the blood, under the blood. The greater Joseph never, ever stops reconciling us to God. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. And what a beautiful picture of us. See, see, reconciliation draws us into this intimacy with God and this intimacy with, with one another. Because the more we become aware of our sin and our sinful behavior, the more we fall in love with Jesus. Because we realize how much he's done for us, what it took for him to reconcile us to God. And the greatest commandment, Jesus tells us, is, is to love God and love one another with all your heart, your soul, your mind. So that reconciliation is not just this way, but it's also supposed to be this way. You see, God's people should never remain divided and fractured in unforgiveness, first of all, but also in reconciliation, second of all. We should be able to forgive one another and be reconciled in relationship to one another because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf so that we might have that intimacy with one another. The second thing we learn about this as a reconciliation as we continue on here is the power of reconciliation. Look with me here, starting in verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest, and God sent me before you. Hey, listen, if you write in your Bibles, and again, encourage that, underline every time Joseph says in this passage, God sent me. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant of, on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. 
so that it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house and ruler over all the land. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will, there I will provide for you, and for there you are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brothers, brother Benjamin, see that it is in my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell me, tell my father of, tell me, excuse me, you must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen here. Hurry and bring my father down here. There's power involved in reconciliation. And it's not ours. Joseph is able to reconcile to his brothers because he sees that his God is sovereign. See, you, you may have meant this for my harm, brothers, but guess what? God did this. God used even your sin for his might, his glory, because that's how big our God is. God isn't thwarted by our sin. Amen. Thank you. Amen. And, and for us as Christians, we should be so excited about that right now. Because the world we live in is filled with sin and people, people trying to thwart the plans of God. But guess what? God is even using their brokenness and their sin for his work. Because he knows what's taking place. He knows what people are going to do. And his plan will never be stopped by us, ever. That's how sovereign and glorious our God is. And when we look at reconciliation, we can be reconciled because God can use even this junk, brokenness, hurt, pain for his glory. That's power. But when we don't reconcile, we refuse to confess that power of God into our lives. We refuse to say, we refuse to say God can bring something good out of this. The second piece of power that we see here is that we see God is great, his sovereignty. The second piece is God is gracious. Do, do, I'm going to correct my English here. Does the nation of Israel... The descendants of Jacob deserve preservation. Absolutely not. Remember all that stuff, right? Tamar, some, some of you had to go home and explain some terminology to your kids. Sorry about that. It's in the Bible, though. If you're going to read the Bible, you're going to run into it eventually, right? The, the brothers were guilty of some horrific sins. Horrific. But because God is a gracious God and a loving and a compassionate God, he is going to use his sovereignty to preserve a people that should not be preserved. And that is still going on today, brothers and sisters. Do you think the church deserves to be preserved? Come on. Look at our history. Church is responsible for racism. Church is responsible for slavery. 
church is responsible for hating people because of sin instead of ministering to people where they're at. Church is responsible for dividing itself based upon silly stuff, fracturing. Brothers and sisters, the church is responsible. We should not be preserved based upon our merit. We're preserved only because God is a gracious God. And so when we choose not to reconcile to one another, when we say that the hurt's too great or whatever excuse that we give, we are denying the power of God's graciousness in our lives and in our relationships. And what's crazy, what's really crazy, is we think we're exhibiting power when we do that, but actually we're denying power. What an impassioned speech, God, that Joseph delivers here. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Revelations 3.21, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. Jesus Christ his accomplishments means that we get to be more than conquerors. But the world defines conquering as us doing what we want. But God defines conquering as us doing what God wants. And God wants us to forgive. God wants us to reconcile to one another. God wants us in relationship with each other. God wants us reliant on each other. The next piece that we see here is freedom of reconciliation. Starting in verse 14. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers. And he wept upon them. And after this, his brothers talked with him. I think a powerful illustration right now might help us understand the freedom of reconciliation. So I was told a story this week that if you were in Sunday school last week, you've heard, but I think you needed to hear it again. And I'm going to ask him, Tom Dunbar, if you would make your way up here, brother. I'm going to ask Tom to come share this before you all. And I think it's a powerful illustration of the freedom that's found in reconciliation. We had the privilege of being called to be missionaries. We spent uh, 35 years in Latin America. 21 years of that was in Honduras. Part of the ministry we had for a few years was director of a farm school for underprivileged boys. And uh, in this ministry, we were mom and dad to 120, 110, 120 
10-year-olds through one of the students was actually 30 years old in grade school. But um, that's not the real story here. The story is that uh, as director, I had to have all of the uh, students abide by the rules. You know, it's the rule, do it. One of the things that we had on our farm school was um, a good uh, herd of milk cattle. <clears throat> we were milking about 100 cows a day, twice a day. And, uh, of course, the boys did it. And one of the jobs that we assigned out to the students was uh, to go out early in the morning, like 3 o'clock in the morning, go out to the pasture, bring in the cattle, and milk them, and uh, take the milk up to the creamery, and then uh, let the, take the cows back. Now, one of the things that uh, was kind of difficult was that they had all that work to do, and they had to get back in time for breakfast. And uh, our breakfast was quite early, but uh, uh, to jump ahead about 50 years, Ellen and I were on one of our last visits to Honduras, and uh, we were visiting one of the students that we'd had there. He was the brother of one of those cowboys. And um, he, after he had gotten out of our school, he'd gone on, he had become a leader in our church. His name was Jorge. And, um, he, and when I say the church, all of the denomination we had there in Honduras. And he had started another school for underprivileged kids, uh, street kids, in Tegucigalpa, the capital city. And so this Sunday, we were invited by him to go out and visit his school and uh, just have fellowship with him. As uh, we were coming back, I said, uh, Jorge, uh, what's up with your brother, Oscar? Oscar was uh, the older brother, and uh, he was one of our cowboys. And so he said, well, why don't we stop and see him on our way home? He just lives right up here in the, in the city. So we stopped, and... Uh, Oscar received us very well, uh, presented his family to us. Remember, he's now uh, probably 60 years old uh, and uh, maybe more. But he has his family, and he's very courteous, and he in invites us in, and we have coffee with him. And, and uh, after a while, after we chit-chatted a while, I said, Oscar... Of all that you learned at our farm school, what has uh, been the lasting result in your life? And he got very, very quiet. And then he said, 70% negative, 30% positive. It just took me back. And I said, but Oscar... Did I have anything to do with those 70% negatives? And he said, Tom, I hated you.
I hate you. Fifty years have gone by. And I, I said, what did I do? He said, do you remember how I had to go out early in the morning and I had to bring in the cattle and then I had to milk them and I had to do all this and, and I was hungry and then I had to get down to the kitchen and the kitchen was closed. So I'd have to go around back and I'd ask some of the boys that are washing the dishes to bring me a little bit of food and you'd catch me and so then you'd punish me. I hated you. And... I said, Oscar, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. I should have, but I did not know that. He, he said, we were hungry. We boys with the cattle, we were hungry. We had to do something. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry. And uh, he began to weep. And he wept like a little baby, just wept. <clears throat> You know what that does to you. <laughs> and uh, so after we talked a little bit more, he was sitting on one side of the room and I on the other. And I, I said, Oscar, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And he got up from where he was and he came and said, Tom, I forgive you. Now, when he had said, I hated you, he said, I also hated the gospel. I didn't want to have anything to do with God. And so apparently I, that great missionary, had turned him away from God. And so he finally said, Tom, I forgive you. And we left in good terms. About a month later, I was in communication with his brother, Jorge, and I said, Jorge, what's with Oscar? He said, you'll never believe it. He's never come to church before, but now he started to come to church. And the other day, he was saved, and then a little bit later, I contacted him, and he said, and Oscar is serving in our church. Now, who is free? He's free. And though I was unaware, I became free that moment as well. So grateful to our Lord. That's what reconciliation does. sets both parties free. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for your spiritual leadership and sharing that story with us. When we don't reconcile to one another, when we don't forgive each other, We build up walls. 
We build up walls that fence us in, that keep us from true intimacy, true experiencing the true power of God and, and experiencing freedom that is found in God. The final thing that we discover when we look at this passage <clears throat> is a witness of reconciliation. Starting in verse 16, chapter 45, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat of the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt to your little ones for your wives and your, bring your father and come, have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Because Joseph's cries were heard in the house of Pharaoh, and they were cries of reconciliation, they were cries of a relationship being restored. Pharaoh himself joins in in the reconciliation of a family. A man who does not know God, far from God, a pagan man, becomes part of the reconciliation process. Now, what's very interesting, Joseph was very powerful and, and very favored by, by Pharaoh. If Joseph would have hated his brothers, Pharaoh would have nuked them. Pharaoh wouldn't be sending chariots to bring them in. He'd be sending his army to destroy them. Because of, Pharaoh, because of Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers and God's work in his heart, Reconciliation is being put on display for a whole nation to see. A whole nation. To watch a people get reconciled to their God and to each other, put on display in front of the most powerful man in all of Egypt. Verse 21, the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey to each and all of them, and gave them a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. And to his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel. On the way. Now, what's he saying? Don't quarrel on the way. Oh, just get along, guys. Just get along. Is that what he's saying here? No, I, I would argue not. I, I think that the term here is actually stir up. Don't get stirred up. Don't get spun up on the way home. And if you think of it, this might refer to a fear of robbers, but more likely it's an assuring word that they need not be fearful about returning to Egypt. They might have thought that once Jacob was in Egypt, Joseph would take his revenge on them. Joseph doesn't want his brothers building things up in their minds in that time away from one another that can hurt their reconciliation, that can hurt their relationship when they get back together. And I think we do that. 
Don't we, when we spend time away from people, we build up things in our mind against those people that stand as barriers that when we get back together, we're having to overcome stuff that we've already forgiven each other for. You see, forgiveness and forgiving people and reconciling to people is not a one and done thing. It's this continually reminding yourself that, no, I have forgiven them. And I got to, I was thinking of a garden, right? And, or, or you got weed season, right? Right now is the time to, you know, get your lawn, according to people, that you're supposed to get your lawn ready for, for next year by, by spreading the stuff out right now so that the weeds won't come back. But there's some weeds you just got to dig out. And if you don't get the roots, they come back. You see, forgiveness is, is about getting after the roots, because if we, if we don't go after those roots and we don't keep, Lord, I need your help to forgive this person today, as those thoughts come back to my mind, our minds about how they hurt us or how they wronged us, if we don't like continue to go, God, I need your help to forgive this and root this weed out of my garden, we'll, we'll never be truly reconciled to one another. It takes work and it takes effort and it takes a continued effort to reconcile to someone who's hurt you deeply. And Joseph is saying to his brothers, don't let our time apart cause us to have to overcome stuff when we come back together again. And so they went out of Egypt and they came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. Everything is on the table right here. The truth is out there. That's when true reconciliation can take place. And that's scary. That's scary. When the truth gets put on the table and we're able to, then we're actually able to forgive one another fully. We're actually able to reconcile fully to each other. But when we hold back, right now, Jacob's, the father of Joseph, knows everything that the brothers did. It's all on the table. Now, father and sons can be reconciled to other. Now, father and son and Joseph and coming back together as a family. Now, when they come to Egypt, they're a family that have been reconciled to God and to one another so that they can put God on display in Egypt. And he is ruler over all the land of Egypt, and his heart became numb. Can you imagine as a father learning your son's alive? And he didn't believe him. But when they told him all the words of Joseph and which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob was revived. As hard as reconciliation is, it makes us come alive, doesn't it? It makes us hope. It makes us exercise and believe in what God truly is doing in our hearts and our lives. And Israel said, it is enough, Joseph, my son is still alive. I will go see him before I die. When we actively engage in reconciliation, when we intentionally say, I am going to not just forgive someone, but I'm going to restore that relationship, I'm going to pursue reconciliation, we regain intimacy with people. We don't have to run into each other in the grocery aisles and do an about face to run away from each other anymore. Now we can run up and greet one another, and that's been some of the coolest things. So I, if you're visiting with us, little past note, but I, Christy and I, when we came here, we went through some rough times at LSC, and we didn't handle things very well. And so this year, we sent out forgiveness letters to some folks. And it was very humbling, 42 letters to be exact. 
Well, we've gotten letters back. And you know what's so cool about that? I got to sit with a couple in my office this week. And we got to have this amazing conversation. And when I see them out in the community now, I get to hug them. I get to restore that relationship with them and, and, and know that we're, there's forgiveness and, and that they don't hold anything against me because of my sin. And it's beautiful. And it's freeing. Because so many times, Christy and I would go out in the community and we'd see some of these individuals and those thoughts, what do they think of us? Do they hate us? And now we just get to hug each other. There's freedom. There's intimacy that's regained. There's experiencing of God's power. As we reconcile to one another, we experience the sovereignty of God, how great he is, and we experience the graciousness of God. We experience the incredible joy and peace that, through freedom. Tom's story, do I need to say anything more? The joy and the peace that was brought to that man and to Tom. Tom didn't even know he needed it, but man, all of a sudden when that burden's lifted, you're like, thank you, Lord, I've been carrying that. I didn't even know I had it on my back. And somebody has come to faith in Jesus Christ because Tom didn't justify it. Tom could have. Well, I was doing the best I can. I had 120 kids. Things had to get done. If you didn't accept my rules, whatever. He didn't. He humbled himself and he said, would you please forgive me? Praise be to God. Spirit was moving within Tom that day and leading that process of reconciliation and we put the gospel on display when we reconcile to one another. We put the, the story of God on display. So why in the world don't we reconcile, right? All these great things come out of reconciliation. Why don't we reconcile? I'm going to give us three practical reasons why I'm going to call them the three Ps. The first one is pride. Our pride. We're filled with ourselves. I don't need to ask forgiveness or I don't need to forgive. We justify the wrongs that we've done and we justify our resentment. It's against somebody. And we say, I don't need to forgive. And that pride fills our hearts. Pride is a big one. The next one is that you and I, we have a perverted sense of justice. We think we need to defend ourselves. We think we need to defend and protect ourselves from people. And so we will do what it takes. We will wall up. We will fence up. We will do whatever is necessary and protect ourselves and so that our sense of justice is accomplished, not God's. We have a perverted sense of justice. We were born with it. And only by the power of God can we overcome it as we understand God will defend us. God will protect us. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to protect myself. I don't have to wall up against people. I can let things go and I can humbly submit to my God and be quick to confess and repent. The third thing that we have is we have pain. And we think our pain justifies our lack of forgiveness or the wrongs that we have committed. And so we refuse to reconcile with people. And I know there are so many different levels of pain. What's the stat? One in three women have been abused. One in six women have been abused. Physically, sexually, some way. 
That's an incredible amount of pain. Books have been written on the father wound. How we as fathers hurt our kids raising them. If our kid comes up to us and says, Dad, you really hurt me here. Are we going to, well, you should have been a better son. If you would have just listened to me, are we just going to say, I'm so sorry. Sometimes it's not even, it's, it's perceived pain. It, it's pain that we've noticed from afar. We've, we've thought what we felt and, and we were holding on to this, this grudge, this hurt inside of us instead of surrendering it to Jesus. We have never experienced freedom in that area, so we're holding on to this pain and it's killing our relationships. And it's killing our relationship, most importantly, with God. Let me tell you something. If you refuse to forgive, you're hurting your relationship with God. You're putting a barrier in between you and your relationship with God. You think it's just affecting you and somebody else. No, it's affecting your relationship with God. And you're, and you're keeping spiritual growth from happening. I want to close with this quote from Bruce Waltke's commentary on Genesis. This scene exposes the anatomy of reconciliation. It's about loyalty to a family member in need, even when he or she looks guilty. It's about giving glory to God and owning up to sin and its consequences and overlooking favoritism. It's offering up oneself to save another. It's demonstrating true love by concrete acts of sacrifice that create a context of trust. It's about discarding control. Listen to this one very carefully. It's about discarding control and the power of knowledge in favor of of intimacy. It's about embracing deep. I've probably got ahead of myself here. It's about embracing deep compassion, tender feelings, sensitivity and forgiveness, and talking to one another. A dysfunctional family that allows, that embraces these virtues will become a light to the world. That's my heart and our prayer for this family. That as we embrace reconciliation, as we embrace living this way in forgiveness, and we become excited about forgiving one another, and we become excited, as weird as it sounds, about confessing to one another that we've done wrong. As we become excited about living out the gospel, we become a beacon in Chelan Valley of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We put God on display, and the witness goes forth that they mean it when they're a family. They hurt each other, but they don't walk away from each other. They forgive each other. 
They confess sin to one another. They lift each other up. When, when somebody comes forward and they confess sin and you're expecting them to get beat down, instead of that taking place, they're lifting each other up and they're restoring people to their faith in Jesus Christ, not just kicking people to the curb. You see, we can deal with messiness of sin. I mean that. We can deal with it. When it's confessed and when it's repented of, we can deal with the messiness of sin. But we can't deal with the messiness of sin when it's hidden and it's tucked away in a little corner and area. But as we confess to one another, as we struggle to live life together for the gospel of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we become a beacon of light in this place. And I I want that for us. Because that's what they're doing. The nation of Israel is coming to dwell in Egypt, and God is on display in Egypt through the nation of Israel as a broken, messed up bunch of sinners. Confess, repent, reconcile to one another and to God, and live for God in a foreign place in a strange land. Man, it sounds a lot like the church, what we're supposed to be. So I'm making a commitment to you guys. I'm making a commitment. Um, something I have done not very well. You know, if for some reason you, you, you want to run away from something that takes place here in the church or you, something happens and you, you stop showing up, or I, I'm going to come after you. Why? I need you. We're a family. I need you. I would not let my brother Justin, he... He's breaking my heart. He's moving to Ohio to be a pastor. He leaves on the 18th, and I'm texting with him yesterday, and it stinks. It's going to be so far away. I can't. We need each other. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. You have spiritual gifts that I don't have. Amen. <laughs> And I need, I need to be, you to be part of my family, and I need to be part of yours. And so, you know, yeah, we have church membership. And some people have asked me, like, why have church membership? For this reason. Because when, how many of you think somebody's married but don't, don't sign a marriage license? Well, why sign a marriage license? Commitment. Covenant. You know what's crazy? The millennials know this. The millennials know this. The millennials are waiting longer and longer and longer to get married. But you know what's crazier? Is the commitment of marriage, the millennials, is better than the generations before it. That when they make the decision to get and they sign on the dotted line, they understand more than the gen- previous generations. This is what statistics are showing. They understand the commitment they're making and they're staying married. Amen. Whoa, I didn't think we could ever learn anything from the millennials. Mm. Brothers and sisters, to be part of the family of God means that we commit to one another. We commit serving, to, serving with each other, for each other, for the glory of God. And I've gone way long this morning, and I just felt like this morning was so important for us that we live a life of reconciliation together. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. And I pray that you'd be with us as we try to live this out together. It will be easy, and it's going to be difficult, and we're going to rely on each other. 
Thank you, Lord God, for your love, your grace, and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.